0: Hi, I'm
1: Judy, and welcome to the Service Design Show. Hi, my name is Mark Fontaine, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show podcast. This show is all about helping you to design organizations that put people at the heart of their business. The guest in this episode is an avid lacrosse player. She's currently the Service Design and Strategy Director at Telus. Her name is Judy Mellet. In this episode, Judy will be talking about how do we get design skills into the hands of the next generation. We'll talk about what is the best and most effective organizational model to embed service design teams. And finally, Is there a limit to how far service design can reach? Let's find out. The reason I invited Judy on the show was because she has a long track record of doing and embedding service design within a huge organization, and that poses some interesting challenges. More recently, Judy has also expanded her expertise into the public sector, improving the educational system in canada which she also talked about at the service design network conference in toronto and she'll be sharing some of her lessons in this episode brace yourself because this is a really diverse conversation and we cover a lot of ground before we dive into the chat with judy i want to thank all the people who reach out uh, on linkedin leaving a message there and saying that they're listening to the show here on this podcast awesome thank you and if you haven't done so already what are you waiting for head over to linkedin send me a message over there i'd really appreciate it and if this is your first time here on the show welcome to the community to the service design show family if you're interested to learn how to explain service design in plain english which a lot of people still struggle with check out the free course that i've got for you specifically on this topic which you can find on service design free course now without any further ado Let's jump straight into the awesome chat with Judy Malott. Welcome to the show, Judy.
0: Thanks for having me. Really excited to talk with you.
1: I, before we got onto this talk, I was watching your presentation at the SDG Service Design Global Conference in Toronto a month ago or something like that. Just under a month and i'll share Today the link down below it. yeah the, depending on when you're and depending on when you're watching uh, so yeah. it's really nice to also talk to you about i'm um, we're probably going to talk about what you also presented in uh in toronto but also a few other topics right mm-hmm. for the people who don't know who you are who haven't googled you or looked at, looked you up on linkedin uh could you give like a really short brief introduction
0: Sure thing. So I am the director of service design and strategy at Telus, which is a national service provider here in Canada, and we provide internet, mobile, TV, home security, and health services to Canadians. So I'm part of the product development team.
1: Mm. And uh, I think people will be surprised the topics we're going to talk about if they if they hear this background. Judy, like uh, I'm really curious. What was your first encounter with service design? When did you get in touch with it?
0: Boy, so Mm -hmm. if you can just bear with me a bit to give you the bouncing ball of how I ended here in service design. I've been at TELUS a long time coming out of school. I was a business graduate, did some consulting and I joined a startup, which is a mobility company. And that startup a few years later was bought by TELUS in order to then buy into mobility services. And over my career, I've been in a number of roles within TELUS, try and get as much experience as possible, including retail, managing devices, warranty programs, pricing, and so on. And just before my stint in service design formally, I was managing the applications portfolio. And it was at a time, if we all remember, that apps, 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 everyone was talking about building an app for whatever service they managed. I also had ownership of our text messaging services at the time. And when we were asked to build the Tell Us My Account self-serve app, which allows customers to manage their cell phone usage and their bills and so on, um, at that time, because everyone was building an app, I assumed that there was some standards around how to build an app. And every time I kept asking, everybody would point me towards brand standards. Mm. I'm thinking, this is not the same thing. Application standards are not the same thing as, as brand standards. And so knowing how big this app would eventually become, we started a app development process, um, if I say governance, it sounds too bureaucratic, but it was a way in which to help other teams who are building applications The one, develop consistency in the applications, So a TELUS customer who's using an app for TV versus mobile has similar experiences. And it was a way to help guide product people through building applications, right? Because just because you're well-versed in TV as a service doesn't mean you're, you're an app expert. So it was a way to provide support. So after we built the MyCount app, I we were doing a bit of a reorganization within the product team, and I, to be quite frank, I was left without a a, a role because we were combining other roles. And my boss at the time said, "What might interest you? Like come up with something." And I was thinking, "Well, we learned a lot through the app development process." And I have peers who are product owners of these core services. And I said, we could take a lot of those similar standards and build a shared service so that we are focusing on customer experiences towards services. So unifying customer experiences. So we have people with deep expertise around TV and they're thinking TV day in and day out through uh, roaming, roaming services as a product. They're focused on. Understanding the depth and building a portfolio and, and experience roaming. There wasn't a team that was looking across mm. to say mm. those mm. customers mm. consuming multiple services and there has to be consistency. So my boss says, Sound in, sounds interesting. I'll give you a year to figure this out. And why don't you put a plan together, put a team together. And so at that time, we had stated this bold vision we didn't have a lot of expertise. I was hiring some agency partners and a few people to come work with me. And that was, eventually we stumbled. We said, there's something that this is called. And we stumbled upon, it was service design and agency partners that we, that we brought on to work with us through some of these core initial experience development processes, help build our credibility expertise across the organization.
1: It's interesting. Yeah, long,
0: Long history, but that's, probably about seven years ago, how the whole idea initiated. And then from there, really it's like you hear similar stories across other organizations. really proliferated the the design community within Toronto and Canada at large is also supporting that. So um, we've grown significantly in our impact and, and other teams that leverage us beyond just the product development team has grown. So that's, it's quite a journey.
1: Uh, It seems like you're, becoming more and more channel agnostic and that is sort of the uh, one of the career paths or where I see service designers coming from they start like with a service design mindset but they are stuck with a channel an app a a website maybe even uh, copywriting and then they sort of realize that they can apply the same mindset same approach uh, same process um, to anything right and then then usually that's the moment when they discover service design
0: absolutely and if you think about even from a customer experience standpoint you the the pitfall you can run into when you're only looking at a single channel is you're almost developing experience of blinders that can then break or push some of the pain points to other channels so if you think for example hey let's just fix an experience that a customer has in the store when they're renewing their mobile contract and the goals and objectives and metrics that that particular initiative might have might be hey how do we reduce the amount of time that a, um, a salesperson might spend during that interaction well in pursuit of that at the same time trying to make it a great, good experience for customers you could inadvertently perhaps drive the, the burden to another downstream part, right? And then maybe you're doing something and then you're driving more calls to so call center, for example. So, if you that is the pitfall of not focusing across the entire experience, you might go deep and say, okay, we need a service design initiative within, within just the retail portion, but it has to be anchored in the larger end to end experience, right? Like from a customer standpoint, where all the multiple channels.
1: I fully agree. And this is, I think, one of the big challenges in our field, which we won't go into today, but who is and how do you actually organize this? Because who has ownership across channels? Who has ownership across touchpoints? Anyway. Judy, we need to get into the topics that you that you shared with me. Um, I'm happy to go
0: there too, but yeah, let's, let's dive maybe, into one Maybe bit. in the
1: next episode, yeah. who knows? Sure. <laughs> we need to yeah. save a few things.
0: <laughs> yeah, number 86. Um,
1: we're going to move from TV, mobile, and uh, what else you do, into the topic which is called Next Generation Thinkers. Sounds exciting. Do you have a question, Sada, and can you show it to us?
0: Okay, that's right. We were going to do a... We're going to... Maybe do, we'll do a... How about we do... We're doing a, our merge? Yeah. Why is it... We can do one that says, why should we enable and invest in, in educating the next generation thinkers about mm. the design thinking processes, philosophy, and methods?
1: It's, it sounds like a big leap from what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, or is it?
0: Not really. Hmm. And let me just, if we think about, and everyone can reflect on this, our own growth, right? From starting as kids and the way that kids naturally learn and explore the world and experiment, if you think about that. And... Then the role, because the the talk that we had at the SDN Global Conference, which was here in Toronto about a month ago, uh, the role in education. And we heard Eleanor, who's the Director of Technology and Innovation for the BC Ministry of Education, talk about how the traditional way of educating often, if you th- think about like pushed out some of these natural tendencies that we all are born with, right? We have gifts as kids to learn to experiment, learn about the world around us, and through that process, we gain knowledge. And our education system, because originally it was conceived to help us identify certain groups of people that ultimately we would cultivate, um, for lack of a better word, to help contribute to society, right? I think mm-hmm, education. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that really helped us be able to measure and identify um, certain groups of people, like uh, it would be things like science, technology, the maths, and so on, which are much easier in terms of assessment, and much more data based. And that would then identify to us that they may be the ones that are the engineering, say, the white collar trades go on to become our finance business, commerce, doctors, lawyers, and so on. And then we have these other groups that may go on to trades and, and and so on. So if you think about our education system, it was designed for the industrial economy to be able to say who belongs where and how do we maximize the economic value of the citizens, right? Um, and if you think about the question, why is it important for us to get back to our roots in, and help the next generation thinkers bring back some of the elements of design into the education process. It's because we are now dealing in a world where like, technology advances, complex society, and with that brings the need for some of these original skills, which is critical thinking, complex problem solving. Like, technology has made our world in some ways much more complex, even though it's also helped to simplify um, things for us. So think about AI, right? Those jobs are not, as everyone fears, not necessarily displacing blue collar or the the menial or rote professions. They are displacing white collar, like entry level positions, right? You think about um, some of the the, um, accounting jobs, even law, they're developing uh, programs to be able to do uh, basic law, uh, finance, and so on. So what we need now is to bring back the skills of that are, are practiced in design and bring and value them because those creative problem-solving skills collaboration are so necessary for this next generation to be able to succeed in in our current economy so the role of education this was a part of that talk was to say we need to rethink and evolve our education system to focus on those competencies not going to be easy right because again Tougher to, tougher to measure, um, tougher to evaluate, right? So it's, it's some of the education curriculum changes that have been made in, in British Columbia are born out of the need to say, okay, we need some more drastic shift in, in order to help better prepare our future citizens, right? Can
1: you give an example of what? Oh, I, I heard an echo, but <laughs> that's, Can you give an example of what has changed in the curriculum in British Columbia, for instance, regarding this topic?
0: They have rolled out curriculum changes that focus on a number of competencies, such as collaboration, some of the things we talked about problem solving, uh, creativity, critical thinking. And they are now moving towards something which is called inquiry based learning. And so traditionally, when we think about the school environment, and this is how I grew up, the teacher was a source of all knowledge, right? And They had knowledge, they had a very specific curriculum that says we're going to teach you factoring in math, um, biology, and so on the subject matter, they would hold all the knowledge, and their role was to impart that knowledge to the students. They were the holders of learning, if you think about it. Inquiry-based learning is now flipping it to say, Students are driving their own areas of like topics that are of interest to them, giving them choice, control, and flexibility. And in allowing them to have more say in terms of the areas that they want to learn about, the the educators' responsibilities are now: how do we invoke the skills of collaboration? So, how do I have perhaps group assignments, group challenges? How do I involve? Um, Problem solving. We may formulate a problem and say, "You need to go find out your resources with your 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 team. Assign teams and and go out and, and solve this problem." So it's really changing the the whole pedagogical um, uh, basis of which which students are experiencing their their education day to day, like school, to focus more on the 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 skills development rather than focusing on what knowledge have you gained right like can you can you factor a polynomial that's what Eleanor said in the talk right it's less about show me how you do that as opposed to through the process of learning about climate change like are you also building these core competency skills
1: if you uh fast forward a few years I can imagine that this has not only implication for students but also the physical environment of schools and also for teachers like is the way we're educating teachers is probably not the way not the teachers we need for the next generation so are you seeing also those things changing
0: it's a slow process and as anything where there's like public public and government involved it's slow i would say understanding where BC is headed, they're probably at the forefront of the change. But of course, like the change has to start with the educators, right? And how are they learning? And how are they supported? What tools, um, what are they learning in order to be able to affect this to the students? So that is also in tandem. And as I said, even it brings me great joy to hear more and more about business design, systems thinking, design thinking, being embedded into university. I don't, I haven't heard of high school yet, um, but that's part of the curricular competencies, but in university programs, right? We're teaching these methods of thinking in as part of uh, regular curriculums. And some of these are mandatory. I taught um, undergrad business students um, third year a business design thinking course. And so, and that was a mandatory, not not an um, elective. So that gives me great joy in thinking that it's being valued to the point where it's, it's a, a standard part of the curriculum for even post-secondary education. So, yes, it'll be ongoing, but educators also, the way in which we're, we're preparing them to, to help teach the students is, is an integral part of that process.
1: I can uh, recommend everybody uh, who is interested in this topic to check out your presentation at the global conference and uh, dive into that. So uh, I'll make sure to link to the videos in the the show notes. (laughs)
0: Thank you.
1: Judy, we're going to move on to topic number two, which, again, might seem like a big leap from what we uh, just talked about because this second topic is, at least on my paper here, Organizational models.
0: Okay. And I'm going to
1: invite you to hold up a question starter.
0: Okay. I'm going through my list here.
1: How can we? How much? Just pick a random one and surprise us. Okay, pick
0: a random one? Yeah. Okay, you don't want let's to... See what, let's see what, what happens. Okay.
1: Mm. Embrace uncertainty.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. What if... What if org models? Okay, my question on this is, okay, let me see, I'm trying to, maybe I'll change that one. It'll be this one because I'm trying the to- The wild dap-
1: God, let's go, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, um, I am not the expert in this. In fact, uh, David Dunn, who's at the University of Victoria, has a book on how design thinking works in organizations. But one of the things I can comment, obviously from my experience, and uh, the question would be, what are some of the benefits, and uh, what are some of the um, what are some of the costs or detractions of a design team that's embedded um, working within a particular business function? I don't know if that's super clear i had to re-articulate that that might be said better but maybe let's see where
1: let's see why did you want to address this topic why is this topic on your mind
0: well because what i'm often asked about even as recently as last week is first of all much like the introduction tell me about your group what do you do where 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 do you reside within telus which is this Mm-hmm. this large organization of over thirty five thousand people and and tell me tell me how you guys work so I start with similarly to the way that I introduced ourselves. We are a design team we're a shared service within product development and we are part of the consumer marketing organization so as we're working over the years in this model and we're, we're we've as I've articulated we've now done work that's outside of this core structure, if you will, but I have reflected on quite a bit around some of the benefits of being anchored within a, um, an opera, like if you say operation, where we're close to the day-to-day business and we're tracking the core metrics that that are bread and butter uh, versus a team that might be located outside and we're starting to observe very specific patterns that are emerging from that. And then I even had a question that came and said, okay, but why don't you guys sit in in digital as a service design team? And so I've put together from these very answers, a point of view, which is to obviously one state that there is no perfect org model. That's going to be a, a function of, priorities of your company, your leadership, the markets that you operate in, and so on and so forth. And what I will say is TELUS has different design teams. We're probably the, 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 the one that has the, the longest tenure and most established, but we are helping even another service design team within the business and enterprise sector get established as well. And of course, Teams like digital are doing design, right? They're doing UX, UI, interaction based design. So we're not the only design house uh, within Telus. But the point of view is this. We are within a product development team. So we have a like a mothership, if you will, that watches very closely. How are we doing on TV? What are the subscribers? Who are we losing? What are the pain points we need to fix? Why are we losing them? what's happening in content consumption patterns and how do we provide or initiate new services and introduce them to the market to make sure that we're addressing those unmet needs. So we are very much part of the day-to-day and that helps us stay relevant, right? Because we are so close to the people that need to deliver the business results, public company. Um, That keeps us pretty pertinent and relevant, if you will. Now, we have often also been sought out for more strategic longer term, like second, third horizon type work. But I would say 80% of our work is the very here and now, right? Tell me how to fix our roaming experiences. Who is the prepaid customer? What do they need from us? How do we rethink that product? So on and so forth. And because of the nature of where we sit, those types of projects tend to fill our funnel and the times where we've had much more exploratory, tell me what the retail sales force the future needs to look like and how we might upskill or attract new talent that reflects where things are going. What's happened is because of the way that perhaps structurally we're organized in our focus, even the, the, um, the results and the action and the traction that some of the more future scenario modeling type outputs have um, are less effective because the tyranny of the urgent and the core business that needs to be supported here and now garners a lion's share of attention so i would say it's neither bad nor good only to say we're happy that we're relevant and very much sought after for today's needs when you're not outside and you're not a unit that sits outside and has time to explore without the urgency of you need to deliver something or we need to have these results shown right away. Um, And we're not necessarily always given the time and space to be able to do that. That I think is some of the uh, pros and cons of having a team that's within nested within the business versus having one that's maybe sits as an innovation hub outside the business and I wouldn't even say there's one that's better or worse, but I could see, envision a time where there's like multiple groups that are looking at different horizons of the business. Now the issue with an innovation hub that sits outside the business is sometimes they lose the credibility. You hear people say things like, okay, you guys go away, do some navel-gazing and we're doing the real work here. So it has to have a very top-down leadership support to make sure that that work has Equal or its value that's that's known to the organization, so they're not sort of outside, and that they also have people that are working within them that know enough about the day-to-day business that that lens is also brought into to some of the 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 work that's been done and the thought processes and so on. So that's been interesting for me.
1: A lot of interesting things that I think a lot of people will be in in <laughs> interested in. So from what I'm hearing and what I'm recognizing from what I've seen within organizations is uh, being close to the day-to-day operation um, yeah, makes you relevant because you can actually change stuff. You can actually impact stuff. You do things that are urgent. Um, so from that point of view, it makes sense to actually be really close to the business. The other thing that I'm hearing you say is maybe there should be... Bl- let's call it a service design team or unit, which is more related to and closer to strategy and um, defining, uh, influencing, and I was looking for a different word, uh, informing strategy and also being able to trickle down that strategy maybe into operations. Is is, is that is that something that aligns with how you're thinking about this?
0: Absolutely. Like we're, you can... Like strategy is just the what's your plan, right? And is it uh, does it have good rationale and firm backing and correlated to ultimately what is the vision that is driving your company? But the the horizon of that strategy, I think, when you're when you're when you're nested within the core business, tends to be <laughs> tends to Three be months. more near <laughs> near term, right? Because again. When you're public, you have results, you, you've got numbers delivered. There's an investor community that's looking to, to to see how you've performed against the market expectations that you set. So by nature that, you are more driven to the, the immediate stuff. Um, go fix that pain point or we're seeing clearly, you know, that particular channel or something that's happening in that app or that part of the support experience that needs to be addressed and we've helped team understand what that needs to look like what those changes need need to look like those are the types of things that tend to get front and center and the lion's share of attention resourcing dollars if you will this so hmm. hmm. i
1: this will be a, a a topic that is going to be discussed a lot in the coming years i guess because service design teams are popping up everywhere internally and how you organize them, where you place them in the organization has has a big impact on what they are actually able to deliver and how they are going to impact the business and the customer experience.
0: Absolutely. We are working on um, like a CEO or C-suite level initiative now, which thankfully, because it does need to come from the top, looks at what do we need to do when everyone everyone says right now, like innovation, like how do we enable innovation? What does that mean for your organization? For us, it means like the, the days of like the hockey stick effect on data consumption and people just having like an un- unending appetite, right? Especially with, with unlimited plans is gone, right? So all the, the, the dollars and growth that we saw, um, we're, not, we're not in a phase where we're in, we're, we're in that period of growth, so innovation for us means like, where's that next wave coming for? So it's it's forcing us, when we look at some of the growth trajectory and comparing it to where we've been, to say we need to be looking out like further ahead, right? It can't just be kind of some mm-hmm. minor feature enhancements or tweaks or pricing changes that are gonna drive the growth for us. And so that, as you said, like there's different service design teams that are coming up, um, that's becoming an area of focus for us, thankfully right because right now i said the large part of our work has been kind of more near term and how do we fix this or what's the next feature how do we how do we enable this and so on
1: final question about this topic is there uh, an example or research or something that inspires you about this topic this theme
0: well we we talked we touched on this a little bit earlier and without going like too far into it before we can reel ourselves back in. Oftentimes organizations that are starting out, we're really interested in this practice. Like what's, what's an ideal way to org it. And again, it's kind of always, um, the disclaimer that, well, there's not one size fits all on this only to say, here are the things to watch out for. And I was asked this very recently to say, do you think it makes most sense to have a team like yours, like the way that you operate within the digital team or within like a specific channel, if you will. And my thought is it can sit anywhere, right? At the end of the day, it's it's an org structure, but the watch out for that is by virtue of you being within a particular business unit, it has implications in terms of the, the metrics for success and the objectives that particular business unit has. So for example, and I'm only just using digital as an example, If you have a design team, and I'm not talking about UX design or what's happening on the the web development, but if you have a service design team that's looking at more end-to-end client experience, if you think about what digital's objectives are, it's to drive as much, because it's lower cost to serve traffic and support experiences and interactions to the web. So that is the core things that that particular channel would be looking to achieve through all the work that they're doing. So if you have a design team, that unless you can have kind of the wall which separates um, the rest of the web objectives to this team, the tendency will be to always try and look through or force fit the experience and channel it into a that particular channel. And that people need to be aware of when they're making those decisions around organizational structure. So what is, um, what is the ideal experience would be not to be located in one, aspect of the customer journey that your objectives may inadvertently drive you to make decisions that that um, may benefit that particular business unit but also give up like then lose sight of the kind of bigger picture so i i would say that's one watch out i had another thought earlier maybe i'm losing it um i think just to the point i made earlier about um where it sits does it sit in the business outside the the business oh and then the point we said about you can go deep um, but how do you have a team you may consider multiple teams right so we we have teams that are looking at anchor experiences which we call what are the pivotal experiences for your customers that these are the ones that you have to get right like when you're doing tv moves like what's the move experience you think about internet is like water so um People don't want to move to a new home and not have their internet set up for two weeks and wait for technicians to show up and wire and their home. So those types of experiences are what we call like anchor experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doing your renewing or upgrading your mobile phone, your repair. If you break your mobile phone, those are like key moments of truth. So we do have a team that looks after anchor experiences, and their full role is ensuring that those anchor experiences don't get broken. And then you have a team like mine who is then hired by other internal team members who are going deep. So somebody has oversight over what is the full renewal of a mobility contract look like? And the channel team might say, okay, we have this part of what's happening in store service design team. Can you come in and help us? What is the rep support experience like for a customer that's coming in during that piece? And we're nesting those two together. So your, 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 Focusing on deep experiences, but you're never breaking the entire end-to-end journey.
1: I think some people at HR will start crying when they have to make these org ch- or charts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> never easy stuff, right? But we're gonna, this is why design exists. Because if it was the silver bill at easy ideas, they would have already been done. It's a,
1: yeah. It, it the also, time for those yeah.
0: ones are past.
1: All right, uh, cool. Uh, really interesting. Uh, we could talk for this about this know, for a good. long time, but we have one topic left, which is also okay. dear to your heart, I think. And this is the third topic.
0: Oh, yeah. Public
1: versus private sector. Okay,
0: let me see. Please
1: surprise us with a um, question okay. around this one.
0: Um, okay. hmm. How much? Did I do what if already? How far?
1: You, you, can, you can reuse them. There are no rules here.
0: No. Okay. Okay. How far? <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe it's, uh, maybe, maybe it's how, what, how far and how wide can design thinking be applied, right? We had our more conversational chit chat talk about you know when we look to places outside of where we see maybe standard design thinking organizations government and so on we find that people in copywriting people in the creative arts chefs musicians there are natural things that they're inherently or intuitively practicing that align to design or follow some of the design methods and so we started with like public versus private sector, and is there are no limit to where design can be applied. I thought maybe that might be the question. And we need to be careful that we're not making it sound as if design is a panacea. Hmm. Right? It's like it's gonna solve all the ills of the world. But I think the way that we need to think about it is some of these tenets and values of design, which is ultimately about how do we bring diverse thinking and and perspectives to the table to help drive better understanding of problems. And, and then out of that more thoughtful and, and wider expansive solutions. I don't want to say that that's like design thinking because it's almost trivializing it. Like that's always good practice, no matter what situation you're in, is to think outside of my mental model of how I'm seeing this, that's shaped from my personal experiences, my education, my work experience, my lived experience, and always think that that mindset well, can never go wrong, right? So in doing the public versus private sector, there were clear differences in the way that that we had to approach the work. Um, some of it was very similar, of course, right? Um, but I would say primarily if you ask the question, is design going to solve everything? It's maybe not the methodology is always going to 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 be like a right fit. Sometimes and we say no to projects that come up, they may be things like where there's already kind of an a known narrow discrete set of solutions the problems fairly well known i would say this is a lean problem right go go to the engineers or the lean six sigma experts and just crank it out right or if it's you know it's um it's a, a process a specific process thing figure out where your bottlenecks are and again like use a process methodology to help help you there so um i would say it's not it will solve every problem but the core tenants are abstracted from calling it design thinking and it's more like just like good sense like good just good logical sense to say more people you can bring in that that can kick the tires on something and contribute potential ideas that's always a good thing so anyways the 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 public to private how far can we go with it wow like i really was quite intimidated and i I don't want to repeat the talk i was quite intimidated when i was originally brought onto that project and just the the magnitude of the problem statement that was cited to me. Um, and of course, as I said, like you, you sort of have to say, okay, I know that this process works, right? I've seen it enough times. And even though this is a much different aspect in the public sector and it's much more complex, it's an area that I don't know as well, there are people that are involved in this project that have that. Like I'm the shepherd of the process. <laughs> if you will, to, to to achieve the outcomes, I don't have to hold all the the knowledge and 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 maybe the, the stress and feeling the accountability um, on my shoulders. And that helped me maybe just get my bearings straight and get my wits about me to be able to affect that. And I would say just in the public sector, the core difference being just the sheer magnitude of the people and the considerations and things like like politics which obviously also happens in corporate organizations but just the magnitudes are much bigger and and often in business you're always trying to get to like narrow the scope right figure out the scope we can't design for everybody who are the real customers who are the ones that are most profitable like who is this tv solution actually designed for and let's Let's understand what the value proposition is, how to reach them, you know, how to market to them, and so on, and, and then how to service. Public, it's the opposite. It's like you don't leave anybody out, right? It's everybody, right? When you're dealing in public sector, so then the problem becomes like, how do you have solutions that are are um, broad enough that get the maximum reach for for citizens, right? Like education, health, like this is something that everybody needs, right? So it's um, I take a thoughtful inclusiveness approach. Mm. So that was the primary difference.
1: So after having going through this public sector challenge, has your perspective on how far the design approach can go changed?
0: It's, if anything, it's, reaffirm i'm kind of like okay i know governments are using it it's a big thing i'm in corporate that's pretty complex we have corporate business systems it's technology that's pretty complex and so i always knew government was using it i I now have complete reaffirmed belief that the most wicked and complex problems things like transit climate change really benefit from some of these core aspects being brought in to help unwind or drive um, pieces of solutions, right? Because there's never one solution that's going to, f- to fix everything, but pieces of the solution together. So it's, if anything, it's reaffirmed my belief that I, there's no problem too small that you can bring in some of these these practices and bring in these peoples and the thinking to help get to a set of solutions. Hmm.
1: I I I fully agree. Well, I I sort of have been a believer for the last twelve years, but seeing these kind of examples again, like you said, just reaffirms this belief. And I think we're just we're we're still all just at the forefront. Where uh, in the moment we unleash um, the design approach and mindset on uh, the, the youngest generations, and when they we'll take it and start running with it, then I think we'll really see the the power of what we're doing here.
0: hundred percent. Rather than beating it out of them through our education system and then having to reteach it to them later, why not let them keep going, right? Mm-hmm. These are natural and tendencies. Why not foster this and and let it flourish? And these are, like, to be honest, they're the ones that are going to solve these problems. So develop their, their thinking through frameworks and methodology and encourage it and... Hone it so that they're set up to be able to help solve these problems, which ultimately they will inherit, right? We will not solve um, these problems in, exactly. in one generation. Yeah.
1: Judy, um, before we wrap up this episode, I want to give you the opportunity to ask the listeners and viewers of the Service Design Show a question. Is there anything on your mind that you'd like us to think about, to honor upon?
0: Sure. I, um. I'd love if you guys, if you can send out my contact details, again, akin to the discussion that we were having informally before we started on this podcast is I'm curious about some of the fringe or non-traditional places where other practitioners have been applying design, or even if it's like a small little corner of a problem that you wouldn't traditionally think about working with, with, design thinking um, to help solve. Please, I'm I'm just so excited to learn about how many different ways in which it's being applied and used and driving some results and outcomes. So please let let me know.
1: So am I. So (laughs) please (laughs) let us know. Uh, Judy, uh, when people want to reach out to you, what's the best way? LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, where are you on?
0: I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, You can uh, Google me and find find my uh, details, and it's LinkedIn Judy Mallet. So it's, it can't be any simpler than that.
1: <laughs> cool. I make sure to link to uh, to it. Uh, Judy, thanks for making the time from the beautiful Toronto. Uh, happy to have you on. Uh, great listening to what you're doing, um, and thanks for sharing.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to talk to you.
1: So if you want to comment on Judy's question, head over to the YouTube page for this episode and leave a comment over there join the conversation that would be really awesome and if this episode was inspiring to you if you liked it grab the link and share it with just one other person today you'll help to grow the service design show family and you'll probably put a smile on somebody's face today now the only thing left for me to do is to thank you for your attention Thank you for listening to the Service Design Show. It was an honor to have you. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll catch you in two weeks time with a brand new episode. See you then.